for those who are listening in real time, well, time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. Been a while since I've done one of these, and I'll do a whole bolus of them today. I need to do this more frequently, I suppose. This is the 157th QuackCast, and it's called Acupuncture Odds and Ends. Somebody did complain that I do too many QuackCasts on acupuncture, but it's a topic of endless interest for me. And the QuackCast has evolved into the audio presentation of my science-based medicine blog, so there tends to be a wee bit of redundancy, I suppose. I'm cheating. No, I'm recycling. Tis the season to have no time to get anything done. Since I know you may not be paying attention to the blog over at the Society for Science-Based Medicine, and might I suggest you wander on over to SFSBM and check us out, and I have no time with work and the holidays to come up with new material, I'm going to collect and expand on the entries on acupuncture I wrote for the Society for Science-Based Medicine. And really, my material is always good enough for repetition. I really need to make my multiple personality disorder work for me, but the goth cowgirl persona is a Luddite at best. So, you are stuck with a slightly overextended infectious disease, doctor. Acupuncture. Beer goggles or expensive wine? Painting with a broad brush, I would say that acupuncture doesn't work. By work, I would say that it has no effect that would change the underlying physiology or anatomy of the person receiving the acupuncture. Works is different than having an effect, even a beneficial effect. Positive interactions with a patient and a healthcare provider, even when offering pseudomedicine, will make some patients feel better about their disease. I compare these pseudomedicines, like acupuncture, to beer goggles. They change perception, but not reality. While changing the perception of disease for the better is of benefit, it is not ethical to base treatment on a lie that acupuncture works. What happens with a process like acupuncture to alter a patient's perception? Well, it doesn't matter where the needles are placed or even if needles are used. Twirled toothpicks are just as effective as real acupuncture, whatever that may be. What matters most for efficacy is that the patient thinks they are getting acupuncture and if they believe that acupuncture is effective, then acupuncture will have a salubrious effect on subjective endpoints. That's it. So, what's going on? Another hint as to the mechanism of acupuncture is found in when pain is not only pain. Inserting needles into the body evokes distinct reward-related brain responses in the context of a treatment. In this study, 24 people received three identical stimuli. Tactile, acupuncture, or pain stimuli. There were two groups to receive the three stimuli, an acupuncture treatment, AT group, and an acupuncture stimulation, AS group. What differed was that they were told before the stimulation, quote, participants in the AS group were primed to consider the acupuncture as a painful stimulus, where the participants in the AT group were told that the acupuncture was going to be part of a therapeutic treatment. The participants then had an fMRI, who doesn't, and a questionnaire about their subjective experience. Quote, behavioral results generally revealed no differences between the AT and AS groups. The questionnaire results confirmed that there were no significant differences in expectancies, fear, or anticipation, or subjective pain ratings related to needles being inserted into the body 
between the patients in the AT and AS groups, end of quote. They found no analgesic effect in the acupuncture group. But there was a difference in the fMRI. Quote, we find that the reward-related regions, specifically the ventral striatum, of the brain were activated by acupuncture stimulation, and that in response to painful stimulation, activity in the pain processing regions was decreased only when participants were told that the acupuncture needles were a therapeutic tool. And as greater activation of the ventral striatum is generally correlated with more expectations of pleasure and rewards, our results could be interpreted to suggest that acupuncture stimulation was associated with the expectation of a reward, possibly an analgesic effect, for patients experiencing acupuncture in the context of a treatment. End of quote. So depending on the context, people process the same stimulus differently. A needle that is thought to be used for therapeutic acupuncture is different than the exact same needle thought to be used for painful stimulation. Maybe. It is a small study, and fMRIs have issues, as we know, from dead salmon. But taken in the context of the literature pointing to the predominantly positive subjective effects of pseudomedicines, it is a curious finding. Maybe not beer goggles probably more like wine tasting better by giving the bottle a higher price. Acupuncture needs belief to work. Well, not acupuncture, at least not as the ancient Chinese did it. I do not think they had electricity to apply to the needles. But in an interesting study, expectancy in real or sham electroacupuncture does believing make it so. They took patients with joint pain due to aromatase inhibitors being used to treat breast cancer. The patients had either sham acupuncture, no current applied, electroacupuncture, or a wait list control group. There were only 20 in each group. No surprise. Those who had an intervention, be it sham or electroacupuncture, had more pain relief than the wait list control. An intervention, even if worthless, usually changes the subjective complaint for the better. But here is where it gets interesting. They used the acupuncture expectancy score, a measure of how much the patient thought acupuncture would help their problem. Overall, the higher the AES score, the better the pain response. Quote, each point increase in baseline expectancy in the SA group is significantly associated with a greater reduction in pain at week 8. A P of 0 .007 for those of you who like your p-values. There's urologists out there, I'm sure, listening to this who love their p-values. In the sham group, there were those with a high AES who also had a better pain response. What is also interesting is that in the sham group, there was no increase in the AES score over time, and the decrease in pain was constant, i.e. there was none. Some in the electroacupuncture group increased their AES score with time, and they had a concomitant decrease in their pain. Those who maintained a low AES score had a pain response that was unchanged over time. What they do not mention, which is a flaw in the study, is whether or not blinding was effective. A little current across an acupuncture needle could easily be noticed by some of the patient and might have affected their perception of the intervention. As they say in the discussion, quote, Expecting a positive outcome, expectancy, at the beginning of the trial was associated with a response to SA. In contrast, 
patients who responded to electroacupuncture had increased expectancy over the course of their acupuncture treatment as compared with non-responders, suggesting the positive responses during the process of EA increased the expectations of positive outcomes. Our findings imply that distinct mechanisms underlie the apparently similar clinical effect between EA and SA. These findings could have important implications for acupuncture and pain research, as well as for clinical practice. It may be the responders to electroacupuncture were the ones who noticed a tingling from the current and responded accordingly. Electroacupuncture is just a TENS unit tarted up with traditional Chinese pseudomedicine, and this study has no implications for acupuncture, except to reinforce that its mechanism is that of an elaborate placebo. I will mention here, I had always thought that a TENS was a legitimate form of pain relief. A quick review suggests that TENS may be nothing more than placebo as well. Since more elaborate placebos yield better responses, it may be that those with the increased AES score were also those who knew they were getting TENS, a more elaborate placebo. I wish they had tested for effectiveness of blinding. It would have been nice addition to understanding what happened in evaluating two different placebos. The authors say in the introduction that, quote, although the response to SA has led skeptics to consider acupuncture effect no more than placebo, they conclude with, our findings suggest that distinct mechanism exists between SA and EA and challenge the notion that acupuncture is all placebo. Methinks you doth protest too much. I see the study as variations on the placebo effect. All placebo, nothing but placebo. There are four kinds of beer goggles evaluated in this study. Sham acupuncture with low or high AES and electroacupuncture with low or high AES with the added additional confounder that some of the patients in the AES group may have known that they were getting a TENS unit. The increasing AES and subsequent improved pain response may be no more than the effects of a more elaborate placebo with a positive feedback loop. To my mind, this is more data to support the notion that the effects of acupuncture, like the effects of all of CAM, is simply the patient deciding that they are going to get better the pseudo-medical equivalent of kissing a boo-boo and making it all better. Animal torture. Psychology was, I admit, not my strong suit back in my pre-med days. The one class that ruined what would have been an otherwise exemplary report card. The one thing I learned from my psychology class was the concept of learned helplessness, perhaps because that describes a lot of medical education. To quote the ever-helpful Wikipedia, quote, Learned helplessness is a behavior in which the organism is forced to endure adversive, painful, or otherwise unpleasant stimuli, becomes unable or unwilling to avoid subsequent encounters with those stimuli, even if they are escapable. Presumably, the organism has learned that it cannot control the situation and therefore does not take action to avoid the negative stimulus. Put a dog in a box, shock it, and it gets depressed and stops looking for an escape. I think of learned helplessness when I see someone abusing an animal by jabbing it with useless needles. This is called acupuncture. I know it is projection, but every time I see pictures of animals getting acupuncture, I see a depressed animal with learned helplessness. Go on the Googles. Look it up. Do any of the animals look happy with their acupuncture? Not to my eye. And the most recent animal to undergo well-intentioned, 
And we know what the road to hell is paved with, is the torture of Spanish owls. 1,200 injured owls are brought every year to a hospital in Spain where, for the last six years, they have been tortured with needles once a week for 10 weeks. Although they brag that 70% survive, I wonder if the added stress helped to kill the remaining 30%. 10 weeks of weekly torture cannot be good for wild owls. More likely they are improving in spite of the acupuncture rather than because of the acupuncture, and given the lack of gloves with the punctures, I wonder how many owls died of inadvertent infections. They give the usual nonsensical reason for using acupuncture and the usual denial of harm. Quote, it stimulates self-curing mechanisms in the organism. It does not cause side effects. Wrong. Don't you think before you inflict pseudo-medicine on animals, you would want to do a study not only to show efficacy, but to prove that you are not killing the animals with the added stress? I would. That is the nice thing about animals. They are unable to complain about the numerous complications that can occur with acupuncture, and so the practitioner can delude themselves as to the safety of their torture. Poor owls. I am not a PETA kind of guy, but I am sympathetic to all the animals needlessly abused for the completely worthless therapeutic and experimental acupuncture studies. After the fact rebuttal. I spent five days wandering the Northeast. Boston, Newport, Plymouth, back to Boston, Salem, and then home. I was invited to give a talk on influenza and participate in a panel discussion about low back pain. The panel consisted predominantly of those who take care of back pain for a living, and I felt a bit like an Alzheimer's patient who wandered into the room by mistake. The panel was asked about using pseudomedicines, and as one of the militant members of the science-based medicine community, I gave my best three-minute summary on which scams are useless. One of the members of the audience made a comment that, due to time constraints, I was unable to respond to. So here is a paraphrase of the comment in my after-the-fact response. He started by saying he was a big believer in science-based medicine, but, but, but where the but? That often means the speaker is about to endorse some bit of pseudo-medicine that he thinks deserves our consideration because, hey, he uses this and it works for me. I was not disappointed. He continued mentioning he has treated plantar fasciitis for years, usually with a single needle, often with only one or two treatments, and it works more often than not. This is, I suspect, the greatest reason that pseudomedicines continue to thrive. First, he is relying on experience as a valid criterion for determining a therapeutic intervention. Experience makes us better healthcare workers in so many ways, it is virtually impossible for us to recognize that the three most dangerous words in medicine are not, I lack insurance, but in my experience. They are a powerful meme for the speaker, but totally useless for the listener. Variations of the concept are found in the idea that the plural of anecdote is anecdotes, not data. And the Richard Feynman quote, my favorite, the first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. So you have to be very careful about that. After you've not fooled yourself, it's easy not to fool other scientists. You just have to be honest in a conventional way after that. The problem is that the Dunning-Kruger effect appears to be the default mode for most healthcare workers, which is the Cognitive bias in which unskilled people make poor decisions and reach erroneous conclusions, 
but their incompetence denies them the metacognitive ability to recognize their mistakes. So, to my mind, the speaker personified what may be the primary issue with pseudo-medicines in healthcare, the reliance on experience and the inability to recognize that when it comes to therapeutic interventions, it is worthless. He concluded with the usual chestnut about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. I hate that cliché. Me? When it comes to pseudomedicine, I would throw out the baby, the bathwater, the tub, the soap, the shampoo, the washcloth, and the towel. Lipstick on a pig. I was wandering the Oxford English Dictionary and found a new definition for worthlessness. Noun. A clinical efficacy trial with no blinding, no placebo, and only subjective endpoints derived from patient self-reporting. The OED is a stickler for examples of usage, so they pointed to the study Effective Perineal Self-Acupressure on Constipation, a randomized clinical trial in the Journal of General Internal Medicine. The study is out of UCLA, Yale, and the Southwestern Law School. They compared usual care and perineal acupressure for constipation. Perineal acupressure? Where did that come from? I don't know. The introduction has a discussion as to the potential benefits of perineal massage and pressure, which can alter the perineal muscles, increase rectal tone, wouldn't you not want that with constipation, and perhaps aiding in defecation. So then they jump straight to testing. Quote, perineal self-acupuncture, which consists of a patient repeatedly applying external pressure to the perineum. Why acupressure? Why the Acu. They make no mention of meridians or key, which suits me just fine. There is an acu point in the perineum in traditional Chinese pseudomedicine, and it is not used for constipation. Rather, it regulates yin for yin deficient headaches, cold penis, a condition usually not associated with a lack of sexual desire, amenorrhea and irregular menses, heat in the chest, pain in the skin of the body, especially the abdomen and perineum, impotence, infertility, and sterility, possibly frigidity, and it calms the mind, used for mania, but can be used in less extreme conditions. The perineal points have nothing to do with constipation. So why the ACU? Because tarting up a lousy study with pseudomedicine gives the results more cachet and press than it deserves? That's my theory. This is not an isolated example. A study adds ACU, and now it gets far more attention than one that doesn't. We saw this with the study Dopamine Mediates Vagal Modulation of the Immune System by Electro-Acupuncture. Virtually anything can get the ACU designation if desired, and then get more attention. I give antibiotics through acupuncture IVs. It's much cooler than regular IVs. I can publish a study on my outcomes for cellulitis with acupuncture IVs. I'll tell half the patients they are getting acupuncture IVs and the other half will get standard IVs. I predict better satisfaction in the acupuncture IV cohort. Maybe we can jump on the bandwagon and get more pressed. AccuScience, AccuBased, AccuMedicine. This is the AccuPractCast. Bad studies lead to wasting money. It is amazing how quickly a single study can lead to an analysis as to whether an intervention should be used because it is cost-effective. 
There is no reason that acupuncture, a complicated magical ritual, should have any specific effect on any pathologic process. However, when I watch videos of acupuncture, the process looks quite nice, except of course for the whole needles being stuck in the skin with zero attention to infection control thing. Relaxing in a caring and supportive environment cannot help but make people feel better as long as they do not get hepatitis B or MRSA. Like all interventions that do nothing, acupuncture is indicated for virtually everything, except as a form of contraception, at least by their proponents. Depression is on the list of processes that are not effectively treated by acupuncture. After reviewing 30, count them 30 studies, with 2,812 patients, the last Cochrane review found, quote, insufficient evidence to recommend the use of acupuncture for people with depression. One would think that when 30 studies demonstrate an intervention with no basis in reality is useless, no self-respecting IRB could ethically approve the 31st study. Nope. In 2013, there was yet another study, Acupuncture and Counseling for Depression in Primary Care, a randomized controlled trial, that demonstrated that counseling and acupuncture were associated with the same degree of reduction in depression at three months. With no wait list and no sham acupuncture control, there can be zero conclusions made about whether or not the acupuncture per se, as opposed to the magic ritual that is acupuncture, was of benefit or whether it was the natural history of depression in that population. The authors call it, quote, a pragmatic trial that asks whether the intervention works under real-life conditions. What I would call it is a waste of time and money whose methodologic flaws ensure that it proves nothing. Again, isn't part of the ethical and practical considerations of IRBs to avoid studies that are methodologically garbage? I guess not. The article states that the authors have no conflicts of interest, which I'm sure is technically true, i.e. financially, but when the lead author of a study suggesting that magic helps depression is, quote, previously trained as a practitioner of acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine and subsequently founded the Northern College of Acupuncture, I remember the ever-so-wise words, quote, Conflicts of interest are very common in biomedical research and typically are inadequately and sparsely reported. Prejudice may not necessarily have financial roots. Scientists in a given field may be prejudiced purely because of their belief in a scientific theory or commitment to their own findings. I mention as an aside that PLOS does not publish author titles, acupuncturist, ND, MD, in their papers. If a pseudomedicine is being evaluated, it would be nice to know what kind of pseudomedical provider is doing the evaluation. As the old saying goes, go to Midas, get a muffler. So we have a preponderance of literature that demonstrates that acupuncture is useless for depression in a fatally flawed study that proposes an efficacy that does not exist. What to do next? Not go to Disneyland. You are a proponent of acupuncture. You have just finished a methodologically horrible study that you can spin into demonstrating acupuncture is helpful for depression despite a vast contradictory literature. You note that, quote, acupuncture is rarely provided within the UK's mental health service or primary care, but private provision for acupuncture for depression is not uncommon. Although, what constitutes not uncommon from the reference used is vague. 
In a table, 7% of providers use acupuncture for psychological disorders. And the only mention of depression is in the text. Quote, anxiety, stress, and depression were the three most prevalent psychological complaints and more commonly treated by independent acupuncturists. In what looks like a manipulation of PLOS as part of a marketing program to increase the use of acupuncture in England, most of the same authors of the original paper hired an economist who found that, hey, acupuncture is cost-effective. If I had a conspiratorial bent, I would point to this as proof that the medical literature is being manipulated to further the financial gain of big pseudo-medicine. But it is not. This is just another sad example of the failure of peer review when applied to pseudo-medicines. Bad infection control. In a prior podcast, I have mentioned my visual Google whack. I could only find one picture of gloves being used during acupuncture, and it was not being performed by an acupuncturist, but a physical therapist doing dry needling. I have also discussed the recalcitrance to basic infection control that informs the practice of acupuncture. It gives me the willies to watch acupuncture videos. It often looks as if they are trying to spread contagion with their practice. Up north in British Columbia, an acupuncture clinic was closed because of poor, quote, infection prevention and control standards that pose a health risk to clients. That defines all the acupuncture I have ever witnessed. Quote, based on the intervention of the center, we are alerting clients of Ms. Who that they may be at increased risk of exposure to bloodborne infections that can be transmitted by improper and unsanitary acupuncture techniques. The article alludes to acupuncture as the source of infections as well as, quote, other treatments involving blood or bodily fluids. What is going on in that clinic? The number of people exposed is uncertain. Quote, Marty said who did not keep proper records, and it is difficult to know how many people might have been affected. But it is more than a thousand people. Take that, typhoid Mary. The health department is recommending testing by clients for bloodborne pathogens. Normally, I would worry about HIV, hepatitis B, and hepatitis C. But evidently, who had even worse technique than I could have thought possible? On her door is a list of diseases for which he wants her clients to contact her if they have been exposed or currently have so she can make a special appointment. And on that list is smallpox. Yes, if you have or have been exposed to smallpox, most certainly see her for acupuncture, or perhaps other treatments involving blood and bodily fluids. This list is a further suggestion that infection control is not well understood in the acupuncture world. Cupping. We only have one big-time professional sports team in Portland, the Trailblazers. No football, no baseball. We do have professional soccer, but that doesn't really count. In Portland, the Blazers rule. I had long thought cupping in athletics was a protective device to prevent groin injuries, although evidently it is voluntary in the NBA, as some have learned to their discomfort. I would think protective cupping would be a good idea, but therapeutic? Not so much. Evidently promoted by the Director of Player Health and Performance, cupping is a form of pseudoscientific nonsense that is being used by the Blazers. 
I have discussed one form, moxibustion, before. Like most pseudomedicine, it is an elaborate placebo with no real effects on real disease. Its alleged mechanism of action is, quote, the idea that the suction draws fluid out of the area, Kamen explained, allowing tissues to heal more quickly. This is not based on any known processes. It is more akin to the wet sock treatment for stuffy nose, so beloved by naturopaths, and a divorced from known anatomy and physiology. I am not surprised the Blazers are using it since athletes often use pseudoscience. I suspect golfers lead the list. Still, I had to laugh at one quote. It's scientific stuff, Cayman said. I could sit here and talk to you about it, but you wouldn't know what I was talking about. I'm not calling you dumb. It's just a mixture of Eastern and Western medicines, and some people think it works and some people don't. It is not scientific stuff. It is pseudo-scientific stuff. That is why no one understands what you are talking about. The theory in practice behind cupping is gibberish. Those who think cupping does not work are probably the ones who understand reality. As one meta-analysis said, quote, Although randomized clinical trials provide a higher quality of evidence, we included non-RCTs in this study because the limited number of RCTs did not provide convincing evidence, demonstrating the usual results of alternative medicine studies. It only has effects when the studies are poorly done. The most unreliable form of evidence, of course, is the anecdote. I find it works pretty good, Kamen said, and it works, Batum said. Well, it doesn't in any well-done clinical trials. Any positive effects are due to placebo, the usual medical beer goggles. I wonder if the Blazers will suggest giant magnets next for their player injuries. And that ends the 151st QuackCast. Don't forget to go to the Society for Science-Based Medicine and my growing multimedia empire at edgydoc.com. Talk to you next time. Bye.